0: Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. This is today's Bible class, a short Bible study every day, just about 13 minutes long. Something you can listen to on the way to work or the way home from work, or maybe during break time at the, on, uh, at the job, or maybe during lunch hour, or maybe just taking a little bit of a break from your chores around the house. But whatever the case doesn't take long to spend this time and get into God's word in a rather deep and detailed way, and yet we're looking at matters that really pertain to us in our spiritual lives. A Bible study. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17, and it also helps us to stay closer to God and stay focused in a more spiritual and therefore positive way to be able to deal with life every day. Help somebody in your life turn their thinking, their focus, their life around. Help them get to heaven by sharing these short studies with them every day. Your family members, your friends, your work associates, your neighbors, with literally everybody you can every day. What a blessing it would be for them to turn their life around and get to heaven because you help them get into God's Word by sharing these short studies with them. But that will also be a great blessing for you. So make that commitment. And start sharing today. We're going to get back into our line of thought and study, and it's really a follow-up from last week's today's Bible class series, where we asked the question, can God save a crook? Well, and of course, as I emphasize, that was simply a representative identity of sinfulness or a sinful lifestyle. Can God save a murderer? Can God save a rapist? Can God save an adulterer? Can God save an adulteress? You fill in the blanks there. Identifying any particular sinful lifestyle and the answer to all of those questions, all of the, that, that basic question and all of those different lifestyles that would fill in the blanks. Yes, God can save even that person. In 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 9, the apostle Peter said that the Lord is not slack, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. Toward us now, that means patient, patient. He's long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is waiting for you if you need to come to repentance and come to Him for forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. He's waiting for you to do so. He's giving you time while you're still alive in this world. But the very next verse says, "But." And there's a transition word there, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And then it talks about how that day of judgment will be cataclysmic for people who are still living in sinfulness, in unfaithfulness to God, in disobedience before him. He says this world, the elements in it will be burned up. Everyone will be called to give account for the way they have lived their lives physically in this world. They'll have to answer for whatever they've done, whether good or bad, Second Corinthians five and verse 10. Can God save a crook? Yes. Can He save any manner of sinful practice? Someone guilty of that? Yes. Yes. If that person will come to him for forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ repenting of their sin and being baptized for the remission of their sins. Acts 2 and verse 38, having their sins washed away by the blood Jesus shed on the cross. Acts 22 in verse 16. Well, the consequence of sin, unrepented of and unforgiven. Oh my, you talk about cataclysmic for the individual? You talk about not just profound, but staggering, self-destructive, it's death. When Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, when God was placing the first man and woman in the garden that God had prepared for them, and I think we can understand he prepared that, that garden for their offspring as well, if they would have stayed there in faithful obedience to him. But in verse 16 of Genesis chapter 2 the text says the lord god commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden you may freely eat but and now here's that transition word again but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die so the only negative command that we have listed in scripture for that first man and that woman in that, I think we can understand paradise on earth, the garden of Eden was you don't eat the fruit of this particular tree. This one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, so what happens in chapter three, beginning with verse two, the devil shows up. It sounds like, as we go through the narrative of Genesis chapter 2 and then chapter 3, it sounds like the devil showed up pretty quickly after God created the first man and woman, put them in the garden. But we don't know what the time frame really was. But somewhere along the line, the devil shows up on the scene. He comes in a different form of what we would expect. He, He comes, presents himself as a serpent. Now, I've said many times in teaching, the devil is our enemy. The Apostle Peter said that in really graphic terms in second in 1 Peter chapter 5 in verse 8. He described him as a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. He's not our friend. He's not a cute little guy about four feet tall in red flannel pajamas with a pointed tail and some little horn sticking out of his head and he's carrying a pitchfork, a little pitchfork. No, that's that's not the devil. That's a cartoon <laughs> characterization. The devil is our gravest, deadliest enemy, and he is all about our spiritual and therefore eternal destruction. He wants to lead us into all of the condemnation, all of the punishment, all of the torment of hell forever. And so he shows up in the scene. He begins to question the woman in verse two, uh, or rather in verse one. Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman responded accurately, by the way. The Lord has said, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. So she answered absolutely accurately. When the devil asked her, has God said that you may eat of every tree of the garden? But then the devil lies to her and then also uses deception. He's very skilled at his work. So in verse four, the devil said to the woman, you, you will not surely die. That's an outright lie. And then he deceived her by saying, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now He couched that particular statement in a way that was intended to make Eve think, well, this would be a good thing. I'm going to be like God. But the knowing good and evil part, the devil was not explaining the depths of that, the depths of that meaning. I'll be like God. I could even imagine in my mind that Eve might have have been thinking, I will be like God, able to do the things he has done. I'll be powerful like that. But that's not what the devil was promising. You'll know good and evil. Well, God knows good and evil because God is all-knowing. Nothing escapes his knowledge, his gaze, his sight. And so the woman she took the bait. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. No, no, it was not a tree desirable to make one wise, but that was the temptation of the devil that he used on her. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Now, from the appearance through her eyes, that fruit looked good for food. But there's a lot of fruit of plants that look good, but they're deadly if you eat them. She ate of that fruit in direct disobedience to God. And the devil used her then to lead her husband to disobey God by eating of the fruit of that tree as well. And then verse 7 is a statement that indicates that everything changed at that moment. The eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Well, everything changed, you see. They had been naked before they ate of that fruit, but they saw absolutely no problem with that. They did not seem unusual, did not seem out of line at all. Why? Because they were innocent. They were sinless. But when they directly disobeyed God and ate that fruit... Oh yeah, all of a sudden, they knew good from evil because they had become evil. They had become sinners. And now they were ashamed. And they fashioned some coverings out of fig leaves and covered their nakedness. And they were ashamed and hid themselves from God when they heard him walking in the garden. And they began the blame game when God asked them what they had done. Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, but now there were sinners and now God began to pronounce judgment upon them. Now, what did God say? In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. In Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, we read this, your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Sin, sinful lifestyle, separates us from God. And that's spiritual death. But when you look later in the third third chapter of Genesis, you find that God expelled the man and the woman from the garden. In verse 22, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. But that was not a positive thing. Because he was now the mankind had become a sinner. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So God was saying, I cannot continue to bless him with the ability to eat of this particular tree, the tree of life and the fruit of that tree blessing him with eternal life in this world. So therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. Other judgments were pronounced upon the man and the woman by God as a result of their sin now. They were sinners, and now they were going to bear the consequence of sin. And they brought the reality of sin into the conscience of mankind. Romans 5 and verse 12. Well, but could God save the sinner? Yes, we answered that emphatically. God can save a crook. He can save any sinner who comes to him for forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. We'll look at this more deeply next time. Let's pray. Father, please forgive us of our sins. We struggle to stay faithful and righteous before you. Thank you for being patient with us and so gracious to forgive us our sins as we come to you for forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Please continue to extend your patience and grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen.